0: I'm David Torcivia, I'm Daniel Forkner, and this is Ashes, Ashes, a show about systemic issues, cracks in civilization, collapse in the environment, and if we're unlucky, the end of the world.
1: But if we learn from all of this, maybe we can stop that. The world might be broken, but it doesn't have to be. David, what's going on? What's going on with you? Long time. Haven't seen you or heard from you in months. I didn't, didn't know if we'd ever talk again.
0: <laughs> Daniel, you're filled with lies. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, nothing much has really happened. Just been chilling. Um, just got back from the beach, which, you know, you also were there too. And, and uh, we were there escaping with all of our uh, Patreon money. And uh, we were trying to run away. But, unfortunately, the cash just didn't last that long inflation
1: uh well speaking of the patreon money i part of the maybe part of the reason why we're here and hopefully not the only reason but but this is this is how patreon operates so we had taken a break um a month or two a couple months ago um i was working a ton you were working a ton uh we had pandemics uh, multiple crises on our hands and i said Let's pause the Patreon. You know, uh, it's not fair to charge people, even though it may be a donation. I don't feel comfortable. You didn't feel comfortable taking money when we weren't producing um, shows for people. But the way Patreon does it is, they don't let you just pause your campaign, right? They they make you manually go in and pause it right before the next month. So I had to go in there at the end of may or end of april whenever we stopped and pause it for the next month and then you know a week before i would have to pause it again for the next month and one day a few weeks ago uh, i got an email that said oh patreon just transferred donations into your ashes ashes account and i said oh no oh no now we have to work again I, i totally totally forgot so let's get this show back on the road what do you say
0: that's that's the only reason we're back. No, there's uh it's. I mean, it's been a while. We're rusty. I can feel it, and uh, I'm at least I'm rusty. I don't know about you, Daniel.
1: I'm a well-oiled machine, David. I've been going at sixty RPMs this whole time. That's six, real six thousand, <laughs> six. I don't even know like what a big RPM number is, but I've been going. Red. I've been redlining it. Been revving the engine.
0: Okay. Well, that sounds extremely unhealthy, but. Uh, I I mean, a lot has happened over the past few months since we've been on here, and uh, we've been very busy with all those events, and uh, that's why we felt that we weren't able to produce this show to the quality and extent that we expected and had come to expect of ourselves during that time, and so we decided it was better to pause it while we focused on the collapse all around us that was happening rapidly in real life, and uh, now we're back uh, a little bit wiser, a little bit more experienced and a lot more tired. And, uh, we've got some questions for you and we've got some things to talk about with what we've been up to and what's happened over the past few months. And this is kind of a catch up episode to ease us back into things and to reconnect with, uh, all of our listeners. And then, uh, you know, with our radio selves, Daniel.
1: Yeah, certainly a checkup show, but I, I think, um, I think we have to admit we don't really know where the show is going. And, and that's kind of why it's been a while. And I think you brought up a good point, David. We were talking earlier just about what the purpose of the show used to be and how things kind of changed, right?
0: Right. So uh, we started this show to sort of document the collapse that we saw coming. All these cracks in the systems, uh, ecological, uh, man-made, all, all around us. And and things were really coming apart for years, and we've been watching this and documenting this. And and so we started putting all that work into this show, and we found all these different systems, things we had never even thought about that were breaking. And and I think we were able to share a lot of information about that and share that with listeners, people who had never thought about this or heard about whatever particular problem, but also draw these nice systemic threads between things that seemed unrelated and be like, well, actually, this causes this problem, and if we just fix this, then maybe... And on and on and on. But at some point, I think when the pandemic kicked off and we entered, it felt like we weren't really talking about the collapse that was coming anymore. It felt like we switched sort of gears in the world. And now we were in the collapse. And uh, the collapse arguably has been happening for years at this point. But I think this moment is when everyone realized, oh, okay, you know. This is it. The moments that we have now are the good old days that we're going to look back on, as terrible as it seems at the moment. You know, this is and every day following, you know, it's just going to get worse and worse as we degrade. And these systems that we've been documenting for the you know past couple of years, over a hundred plus episodes, have finally started just shattering under the combined weight of all the problems and, and intentional Breakages and and sometimes unintentional, unforeseen consequences that we put into all of this. So it's a really interesting time. And it sort of changed how we're thinking about this show, in that it feels weird to talk about the upcoming collapse when we feel like we're in the middle of it right now. And yeah, you know, obviously, as things go on, other parts of this collapse are going to trigger. You know, we have the horrible situation in the Arctic right now, the blue ocean event is looming, probably not this year as much as doomers would like to really say, oh, this is it. But, you know, certainly within the next couple of years, and especially if there's an El Nino year coming up, things are going to get worse. And these things that we've documented or talked about uh, are going to be cracking more and more. But uh, we're in the shit now. And I I think that's a a difference um, in mindset, at least for me and for you, probably, Daniel, that it makes it weird to talk about upcoming things rather than, you know, like the actual breakdown that's happening right now.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely a mindset shift and it wasn't even just talking about things that were upcoming, but even just deep dive analyses of current systems like I think we ended last uh, in March, right? And we had ended the last show saying like, "Oh, next week we're going to talk about the insurance industry and, and <laughs> how I think the idea was like we we were going to talk about like um disaster insurance and how it's yeah. like very disaster
0: insurance, travel insurance, um, touch briefly on medical insurance. So we covered that previously in that, uh, us healthcare episodes. Uh, right. but it, very stupid. And
1: then two, like two days later, like people are panic buying, you know, toilet paper. And I'm like, I don't really know if reading a textbook on insurance to talk about that is really the, uh, it, it doesn't feel like the right time for that. It's, We're past that in a way, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, it felt like, at least for me, and part of the reason why it felt so important to pause the show was that the time of reading and learning had sort of uh, been paused and it was a time to actually go out and do stuff. And so um, I know you and I were both on the streets, um, on the ground, trying to work on projects to help relieve some of the stress that was introduced so rapidly by coronavirus by the collapse that it caused in the economy and in, in the ability for people to get food the healthcare systems and the social systems that a lot of people had taken for granted and though the pandemic on you know if you ask the politician or something is is has improved um you know especially i guess for all of you europeans and people in uh you know non-american or brazil or indian or whatever countries you know good for y'all but like it it's terrible here still and though everyone's in no denial about it um you know things are just as bad as they were months ago when we paused this the collapses that are happening in the economy the cracks in people's employment the coming tsunami wave of evictions none none of this stuff has changed in fact it's just gotten worse over this time and so at least i'm still very much involved in this you know covid-19 fight even though it doesn't look like it did a few months ago when there were three morgue trucks outside the hospital a block from me and i was seeing hospitals come in and out 24/7 mm-hmm. all day long the tone of the conversation has changed you know people are out on the streets restaurants are open we're all walking around with masks and you know while we're trying to be careful and you have to eat outside and stuff but the realities of the situation and the cracks it introduced in our society have not gone away and in fact they've intensified especially here you know we're recording this on uh, the last week of July, this is the last week that the federal unemployment $600 a week check is going to go out. And the future of that unemployment insurance provided by the federal government is a big, giant question mark right now. And my bet would be that it, if it's continued, and it probably will be, it will be dramatically cut and also time capped with how long it's available. But, you know, that's going to cause actual physical pain. It's going to cause deaths. It's going to cause just a catastrophe. That I don't think a lot of people are prepared for. So we've been trying to do a lot of work on the ground and activist organizations and tenant unions and things to prepare for this. And it's taken up a lot of time. And and so the time that I was spending researching and reading about these, you know, systemic issues all around us has been replaced by, and I was always an activist and always organizing, but the urgency of of doing this work on the ground to try and fix these problems now or at least get some sort of solutions in the way so that the collapses and cracks don't kill tons of people, or at least gives us a fighting chance, has uh, suddenly become a lot more urgent.
1: Well, David, let me ask you, what is, um, like, what's your sense of organizing? Because I don't consider myself an organizer or hardly an activist, really. I mean, I went to a couple protests here and there, like most people, um, you know, saw the police run their motorcycles through crowds of people, uh, like most people. Um, and, And yeah, I've been in response to the pandemic, working crazy hours. And I just finished up um, yesterday, actually, my yearly AmeriCorps service. So I'm finally done with that. But a lot of my busyness was in the context of nonprofit works where it was my job in a way to respond to this. And I was very busy, you know, getting food to people and, and doing various things. But I don't have a good sense of how Organizing on the ground outside of these more formal structures really looks like. And I'm curious if you have a sense of how, you know, that environment or, or those organizing efforts have changed or adapted or even evolved given just the enormous landscape of crises all around us.
0: Well, I haven't addressed the protests yet. And, um, you know, that'll be part of the conversation that's coming here. But uh, to talk about what you're asking in terms of just larger generalizations. I don't think there's a huge difference between a lot of the work you were doing and a lot of the work I was doing besides that you were getting a paycheck, a very small paycheck, uh, unfortunately for you, Daniel. But, uh, you know, there's this sort of arbitrary line, like what is an activist and what is an organizer? And, oh, I'm working for an NGO or a nonprofit or whatever, but I'm getting paid. Do I count as one of those people? I don't think it matters. You know, it, it comes down to the end of the day. Are you doing work that is helping people are you trying to do this work in a way that doesn't just swoop in and say, you know, here, I have the solution for you. Let me just, you know, do this for you, but rather empower people on the ground and include their voice and and give them, you know, more the tools to solve things themselves rather than just coming in with solutions and and money and and, you know, most of the time these end up being some sort of private industry that in the end milks these people dry, but you told me you were having lots of moments where you're coming into these towns and talking to people and going to town halls and really trying to focus on how can we build these structures that allow people to empower themselves. And in my eye, you know, that's the same thing that I was doing. That's, that's organizing, that's activism. And so whether or not it's happening under the structures of a, you know, NGO or some other nonprofit, or if it's just a bunch of people on the ground, who they call themselves anarchists or socialists or whatever, and now they're on some sort of list with Donald Trump because of that fact, but they're there trying to take these communities that already exist and give them, you know, the tools or knowledge or empowerment to really start making things better for themselves, then, you know, all of that is activism. All that is organizing. And there's lots of different structures. Are we helping neighborhoods? Are we helping cities? Or a lot of my work over the past few months has been helping other activists and organizers. I've been building tools and teams with people to try and empower other activists on the ground and I'll go into more detail about that later, but mm-hmm. this is all part of what that organizing is and this is the synthesis, the activation of all the things we've been talking about where we move past the armchair theory, the discussion of these problems and start realizing solutions or at least Preparing communities to be resilient in some sort of way with these coming problems, and for a lot of people, uh, a lot of our listeners, this has meant, you know, switching careers, leaving something that they didn't like, and becoming an environmental scientist, or saying, "Hey, I'm going to finally start that homestead and go out and buy some land and start trying to work that land in a responsible and sustainable way." There are tons of different ways of of activating this sort of action in yourself and. Over the course of the show, I've seen a lot of this happening, and it's been really encouraging to hear from listeners, from people hanging out in the discords uh, about their work in this field. And I think a lot of them wouldn't consider themselves activists or organizers, but they absolutely are. But over the past couple of months, since the George Floyd protests started here in the United States, the acceleration of this process has been really encouraging and incredible to see where a lot of people who Never would have really considered themselves political. They would have maybe called themselves progressive, but that's the end of it. Now I see them trading around radical literature. Now I see them uh, trying to take up these bits of knowledge and theory and activate them on the streets. And it's been, at least here in in New York City, uh, incredibly inspiring to see you know, tens of thousands of people on the streets at times doing very radical actions, you know, directly. I've seen people fighting the police. I've seen, uh, you know, police cars set on fire and stuff. Uh, and, and these things have not died out. You know, it was 55 or 60 days or so that, that the protests really got started. In the end yeah. of May, uh, they sort of went through June and then petered off, I think, in a lot of people's perceptions. But, uh, I mean, this yesterday here in New York, this is July 25th. Uh, there were people still, you know, attacking police cars, smashing windows and stuff. This is still absolutely happening. The only thing that has changed is that the media is really not covering it for obvious reasons. But with the Portland stuff happening right now, with federal troops and a lot of private mercenaries being deployed into these areas on the behest of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, we've seen a reactivation and I think a a more defined purpose for a lot of people where this was originally something about Black Lives Matter. We're tired of police and their brutality, murdering, you know, so many black men especially. But now as time has gone on, as people who hadn't previously been exposed to all sorts of radical thinking or literature or ideas, now they're seeing, well, you know, it's not just the police and their brutality, which obviously is a problem, but maybe these larger state structures are the problem. And then you send in federal goons and private mercenaries and they say, well, you know, look, that's a literal manifestation of these things that we hate. You know, And it, 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 I think it really served to channel people's hate and frustration. And uh, it's only going to get worse. And I think that's part of the, the mindset that I have right now about this show and being in the collapse is that I think the next few months, especially here in the United States, leading up to the election in November, are going to be... Um, exceptional times. I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that.
1: Yeah, I think these are exceptional times. Um, Yeah, I think things broader and systemically are getting worse and will continue to get worse, but I do think there are pockets of hope, um, pockets of new resistances, new oh, yes. structures being created to kind of um, chart a new path forward. And... I think one of the exceptional characteristics about this time is that I think we live in a time of extraordinary awakening, if you will, in terms of class consciousness, political consciousness in this country. And I may be wrong here, but I get a sense that it's no longer very possible for mainstream media to obscure perspectives of the working class in this country. And people are very Uh, attuned to the fact that racial injustice runs deep in this country, that corporations have been running this country for a long time, and that we're all worse off for it. But I think this is also why we're seeing the secret police and federal agents just wreaking absolute fascist havoc in places like Portland, where I feel like the government has kind of realized, look, we can't the veil over people's eyes anymore. It's just going to come down to brute force and, if need be, dictatorship and civil war. I think that's the turning point we're at.
0: Yeah, uh, there are a lot of questions of what the future holds. And I can see a lot of very dark paths it could take. Um, but at the same time, like you said, the past couple months have been, for me, both incredibly depressing and overwhelming, but also incredibly inspirational. And Seeing people empowered for the first time in their lives and realizing, hey, you know, there are other paths besides this thing that we've been told about, you know, maybe I vote once every couple of years, but otherwise I'm on my own, defend by myself. Wait, that's not true. There's all sorts of other people out here in the same boat as me. Wait, they all are helping me and I can help them. Wait, look, our demands on the street got actual political change very quick. Wait. There's a lot of this violence I never would have agreed with, quote unquote, property violence. But look at the the actual change it got. You know, maybe there are other paths forward. Maybe I've been lied to that the only way that I can possibly affect the status quo is by just gently, you know, casting a ballot every now and then. No, there are many paths to, to political change and to radical change in the world. And seeing people wake up to that, that I would have never guessed would have, is has been a Incredibly in- inspiring in this time, and it's it's honestly it's one of the only things keeping me going because there's just so much bad news beyond you know the the constant stream of brutality that we see beyond the just ridiculously mounting deaths that are coronavirus uh beyond the melting Arctic, beyond the uh, worst ever amazon fires, beyond you know all of this stuff, you have to have something that keeps you going forward and seeing that in people the past few months has been that for me
1: if i could share a little bit of inspiration from my personal life or my you know some of the work that i'm doing i do some work for agrarian trust which is a national land trust organization and i think i talked a little bit about them last time we were on but um our work is focused on transforming land ownership tenure and access in this country where we recognize that private property ownership and the commodification of land and all the financialization that goes around with that is one of the most powerful and destructive vehicles for wealth accumulation, for excluding anyone other than elite white owners in this country from land and then the associated labor abuse, land extraction, industrial agriculture that's destroying the world, all these things that go along with that. But if we can create a model, a new structure that holds land in community hands forever in perpetuity for the purpose of community diversified food production and in a way that's ecologically sound, we can maybe provide an example of how to transform that and break down the commodification of land and the exclusion of land for anyone that's not wealthy and white. And so what we did or, or what this work has done is created 10 initial entities across the country that has a farmer or a couple different farmers with a property and a community around it that's going to hold this land forever for local agricultural production and with the community connection and people on the land. And once those entities are formed, we still have to raise money to really secure that land. And the first fundraiser we launched was about uh, five weeks ago or so to hold this 107-acre farmland property in Maine for uh, the Somali Bantu Community Association, which teaches and, and provides farming resources for close to 200 Somali Bantu families. And the Somali Bantu is a group of people who have a long history of escaping slavery and being refugees and And migrating to the United States. And after five weeks, we raised enough money from over 1200 individual donors across the country to have this this farmland purchased and secured and forever protected for this community. So it's a huge success story. And I think the reason why this fundraiser is so successful is because of the atrocities that are being carried out in this country and around the world that people are, are really sick and tired of. And there's a lot of people who want to do something. But again, it's always the question of what do I do? It's really hard to figure that out because the, like you said, our, our imagination of, of how we create change in this country has really been conditioned out of us and limited to the scope of just voting once a year. But I think people are really wanting to give and, and the fact that this opportunity exists and people gave to it is really inspiring to me.
0: Yeah, that's a really exciting project, Daniel. I've actually given a little bit for it and I passed that link around. and I know a lot of people that I passed it to have seen it and given some and they've been excited about it. Maybe we can post on the website so other people can check it out and see that this work is actually being done and that these types of systems are being built right now. It's, it's really exciting, but I, I kind of want to backtrack yeah. a little bit. Here And we blew past a lot of stuff. I know we were talking about, oh yeah, coronavirus happened and then the, you know, protests happened and we've been busy with that. But uh, maybe we should at least talk a little bit about what that sort of quarantine situation was like, because I think it stressed a lot of people, not just economically, but in terms of a lot of things that we take for granted. And for Americans, a lot of that was, well, now my ability to consume has been has been impacted, and we saw those weird protests with people coming out and being like, "Open stores up so I can get a haircut and whatever." Um, you know, I took a chance for this time to uh, shave my head with uh, a razor that I had. So now I've got I'm I'm sporting a buzz cut. I also grew a mustache because I could skip that uh you know awkward okay, well, period where you know you have like half a mustache. Well, I could hide it because it's, first off, I wasn't seeing anybody, and then second off, I've got. A mask covering my face. So, uh, but now it's it's nice and full grown. So this is a great time to to work on uh, body hair projects.
1: <laughs> With the caveat being, okay, so uh, we hadn't talked, David, or you know, we talked because sometimes we play video games or you know whatever. But I hadn't seen you for a month or two, and then we, I think we got on video chat or something, and I and I was blown away. I saw this mustache you had. I, I said, "Whoa." <laughs> You didn't tell me we were growing mustaches. What's going on? Oh, yeah. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to grow a mustache. So, you know, wearing the mask every day. uh, Didn't shave my mustache. And the crazy thing is I still had like work meetings where, you know, on Zoom, you don't have to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. So I'd be on professional Zoom meetings with like this half-assed mustache, (laughs) but just like sacrificing that uh, potential reputational hit to like get myself up to the level of mustache that you had. And then- after like two months of this, I realized like, I just can't grow a mustache and I've just been embarrassing myself for a, while, a long time. Sorry. So I finally shaved it.
0: Sorry, bro. Gotta get some of that Rogaine, just rub it right above your lips. You know, that's... that's. I did key.
1: consider that. I really did.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I mean, besides mustaches, besides consumption, um, you do hit it on a point there where we, we spent a lot of time alone and this lack of social connections that people had come to depend upon, uh, really stressed a lot of people. And unfortunately, a lot of people found identity in their social connections through work. And so now that people were being denied the access to their office space and sheer amount of time that was devoted to getting there, doing stuff there, coming home, the commute, all that, a lot of people didn't react well. They didn't know what to do with this newfound sense of freedom And I'm going to use that word freedom because that's how I see it. But a lot of people didn't exactly see it that way.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I've actually thought about this, um, not exactly in the context of the pandemic, but that's a really good point that I do think that work culture in America is toxic on so many different levels. But one of the levels it is that you're right, we are conditioned to kind of see our work family. And that's how they phrase it as like our family and me working in nonprofits. I do get a sense that, like, at least we are all like aligned. We have shared values and missions, and it is easy to make friends in that type of work. But the thing is, what I realized is that it it's still usually not a genuine. I mean, you can make friends through work, but let me just tell you an experience I had where, in my work, I was working with this organization, this health clinic near Boston, and. The person that I was talking to was the director of this clinic, and she had been there for over 35 years, right? And now this clinic was part of a network, so there was someone who oversaw all the networks, and we were all talking, we were all close, we were all forming this partnership. And then it turns out that some in the leadership of this health network decided to act this director, who I had been, you know, kind of friendly with for a long time. And so they fired her on the spot after 35 years. And I asked around at everyone else in the network. And I said, "Well, we got to still contact her. You know, sh- this is community work. She's a part of the community. How are we going to get her involved?" And no one knew how to contact her. And that's man, it hit me. I was like, "Wow, you can work for thirty-five years and build all these relationships, and then at the end of the day, it can be taken away from you in a heartbeat." And uh, I realized that in myself, I'm a little bit of a workaholic. And because of that, and because I've been working so much, I haven't really had a lot of time to develop hobbies and friendships outside of work. And I think part of the reason I do work so much is because it, it gives me a sense of connection to people. But more than that, I realize I think what humans crave, maybe not more than anything, but one of our core drives, I believe, is the drive to work on something in common with other people that's bigger than our own individual needs and desires. And working for a cause is a great way to do that. But when that cause is in the service of a corporation or an organization where financial decisions by a director or a manager means that they can just cut people left and right, it's like, I feel like that, that social connection is used as a way to kind of enslave people. We're like, yeah, you want, you want connection to people. You want to work on a project and feel like you're valuable and, and that people appreciate what you're doing. The only opportunity you get to do that is in the workplace. And the moment your productivity or, or your position doesn't fit with um, whatever economic considerations the managers have, that can be taken away from you. And I think there's something really uh, dep- depressing about that.
0: I mean, yeah. Uh Unfortunately, I, I think you hit a lot of good points here, but the big problem is that a lot of people are conditioned to only think that they can find that type of community or connection in that type of work when you're generating profit for somebody else because they just don't know anything else exists out there and one of the the really redeeming things for me over this time, and especially in relation to the protests, has been the connections that I've gotten in some of the communities that I've been working with by building tools and doing work for other activists and for these movements. So I've spent a lot of time getting weirdly into radio and software defined radio. And uh, I've gotten some of my uh, FCC licenses and I'm working on some other ones. So I'm now weird radio person, Daniel, if you're looking for a nerdy hobby to pick up, this is a good one. And What we've been doing.
1: I learned some HTML the other day. Does that count?
0: Uh, it counts for something, sure. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) here in New York, um, we've been developing tools and communities to monitor police scanners to help coordinate things on the ground for many of the protests and events that were happening here. So we've built tools for mapping the police, for mapping protest movements. That people can quickly just check on their phone and then see, you know, what's happening, or or if they want to go get involved in a protest, it tells them where they can link up. Um, And we have these deployed, you know, here in New York, in Atlanta. Uh, We've got a bunch of cities built out. We're trying to add more teams to to make sure this stuff is being actively updated, especially now as protests are picking up again. Uh, You can see these at ScanMap.mobi. I'll link them on the website. And if you actually want to get involved with one of these cities, or add your own city, you know, please reach out because we're trying to build these communities around the country. Um, I built uh, radio systems that are capable of gathering all of New York police departments radio, and uh, we're working on a system right now that can archive every single transmission they make. Uh, we have teams that we've put together that will listen in on these scanners and, and tweet out useful information, update the maps, uh, and, and generally guide people on the ground. We've worked on documentation about how to, you know, listen to scanners, about how to use the maps. I've got documentation on how to build these radio systems. We're working on stuff about how do we build these communities to monitor the police, to track all this stuff down and to empower people on the ground. And it's been really incredible to these groups. I didn't know most of them involved. Um, Most of us are unaffiliated and we just sort of started working together because we had this common goal at the time, which was like, how can we Monitor the police and help these people on the ground in order to magnify the effects that they have, keep them safe, and to keep the police accountable. And it's been an incredible experience. I've met a lot of people I didn't know before, but uh, it feels like a family, and uh, we have all been working together so much for you know months at this point that uh, we've developed you know these nice familial type bonds, and it's that type of stuff that you identified, Daniel, that a lot of people only find in the workplace. But which can be so easily severed. Whereas because mm-hmm. we all voluntarily decided to work on this, contributing time and energy and money with, with nothing expected in return except to help others, that ability to sever that is, is really not there. And so even though you know, things died off here for a couple of weeks, this past week we had a need, uh, people jumped back in and it was right back to where it was. So it, these types of communities are more resilient than workplace communities are. And that's obviously one of the really big things that we try and push on the show. How can we build resilient communities? Um, if you're interested in any of this stuff, uh, we have a documentation website, radio12.org. If you want to listen in on some of the uh, police scanner tools that we've built, you can hear at New York Police Department live at nypd.radio12.org. Those are my radios running out of my closet, so you can tune into that. Um, and feel free to reach out if you have questions comments if you want to get involved in something like that i'm happy to point you in the correct way this is more for american listeners uh because the european systems are much more complicated and encrypted and you're out of luck but luckily your police are a little better i guess you win some and you lose some
1: well you actually reminded me what the whole point of my rant was because i i forgot like where i was going with it when i was See, talking you were about out it. of
0: practice here
1: That's why I was just like, uh, well, I guess that's depressing. But no, what it what it made me realize is we talk about what what can people do, right? And political action is so much more than voting. I actually think that making friends should be considered a political action, right? That any relationship you can build outside of work culture or or these types of commodified relationships, that's political, and you're you're doing something because. Again, capitalism and, and wealth accumulation, these systems really thrive by breaking communities apart and making people dependent on all the commodities that they offer. And that when you build relationships with other people, even if you're just going out hiking or, or doing something, whatever it is, that's a, that's a profoundly political act. You're saying that relationships matter regardless of whatever financial ties there are around it. We need more of those. And if you want to build radios while you do it, tackle the police today. That's great.
0: It's real fun. I mean, it's, it's fun being on the streets too. So uh, if you haven't been out there, I, I highly encourage you jumping at the chance if it comes up, but be safe.
1: Well, David, I don't really have uh, much more to say right now, unless you do.
0: Well, we've been very vague about a lot of the stuff we've been working on. And in the spirit of keeping things vague, I guess we should talk about, you know, the big question mark that I'm sure many of our listeners have. and to an extent both you and I still have, which is, you know, what's next on Ashes Ashes? Are we tuning in next week to that insurance episode? Are we tuning in, you know, in three more months to another update where David and Daniel just ramble about nothing? Well, I don't really have a lot of answers here. I think we're still both trying to grapple with the realities of the now, of the moment that we find ourselves in and figuring out, not only how we fit into that, but certainly how the show fits into this and on a larger scale. So I guess that brings us to the moment here where, like I said, this is sort of a question mark. What does the future of the show hold? We've talked about different formats. We're going to transition to, you know, a bi-weekly sort of thing. Are we just going to post episodes after we finish them um, and sort of break our, our two-year schedule of every single Thursday it comes out? Are we going to keep doing these deep dives? Are we going to focus on something else? Uh, Is it going to become more current events? There are, I think, a lot of pros and cons to a lot of these questions. And one of the things we really want to make sure we're doing in this show is, is that we are unique and providing something that no one else is and doing the best job that we can at that. And I think for the past couple of years, our deep dives have been really unique in that way. And that you're able to find other decent criticisms and critique-type shows, um, like We Love Citations Needed, stuff like that. But they tend to be focused on a specific niche, in that case, media. So our ability to focus on these systemic issues as our niche has, I think, been really valuable and is how we were able to connect with so many people all around the world. Because these are things that affect everybody. And the ability to deep dive into them, connect them, and really expose them has been hugely valuable to not just you and me, Daniel, but also to the people who decided to tune in. I I think there's still value in that. There's still topics I wanna talk about, you know? Uh, I know on our list, we have cars. I've been wanting to talk about cars for forever and I have so many more thoughts now, but it's one of those things that, it's a big episode, so I've been putting it off. Uh, The public school system, We we have this giant list in the secret parts of our Discord with all sorts of show ideas. Uh, that we never got to. Charter schools, um, social media and mental health, research and publishing in academia.
1: The great car episode.
0: Yes, the great car episode, which, which I keep alluding to. Uh, sex work, vulture funds, prison economics. All these things are really important topics, which I would like to address at some point. I think they still have value. At the same time, like you said, Daniel, we are busier now living in the... We are busier right now living in the here than we have at any point so we've had less time to really develop these show ideas out to the quality that we expect and i think we you know we burned out a lot on the the giant border episode and i'm really proud of what we did but that type of work level is isn't sustainable for us so one of the things that we've talked about is also adding a, or making some of the focus possibly on things that people are doing in you know the now, once again, that are inspirational, that are working to solve these systemic issues?
1: I mean, personally, I would love to talk um, with people and to people who are doing things, uh, get some fresh perspectives on the show. Again, I don't know how much time I have behind the scenes um, like I used to. So, I mean, certainly if, If you're doing anything interesting that you want to talk about that um, you feel like is making a positive impact on the world, we need more positivity. We need more examples that other people can follow. So reach out to us, contact at ashesashes.org.
0: Yeah, exactly, Daniel. And we've also, we talked about potentially looking at different futures that might happen, sort of having episodes where we sit down and say, well, if this happens and this happens and this happens, and we might see this super dark future or if somebody could stop it, we might see this good future, that are more projected type of, of guessing of what's next rather than talking about with all this research what we normally do. Basically using the vast field of knowledge that we've accumulated over these past couple of years and turning it into prognostications about the future. Uh, for those of you who have listened to Robert Evans, it could happen here. It would be sort of similar to that, but boiled down to single episodes. We don't entirely know. We're not committing to any of these. Um, These are things we talked about, but we've always seen this show, I think, as collaborative. I, I mean, I certainly have. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Daniel, but I mean collaborative, not just between you and me, but also our listeners, also uh, all the people that we work with day to day, people we do activism with, that we organize with, that we work in our our workplaces with, because this is a show about all of us and how we all fit together in this world. And so it's been very important to me to get a lot of thoughts and opinions and see what is valuable to people who tune in. And I guess this is a call for us right now to say, you know, what is important to you as a listener? Why, why do you tune in? Why are you listening now after a three or four month hiatus? Um, what made you press play? What would you like to see? Uh, what aren't you hearing out there right now that you would like to hear? You know, send these thoughts to us, contact at ashesashes.org, jump on our discord and, and, and paste something there. There's an invitation to that on our website, just ashesashes.org, go to the community tab and then ashesashes ashes discord. You should find it. Invite link there. Post it on our subreddit. We do check it, even though it's been mostly dead, our ashes, ashes cast. Send us on Twitter or Instagram, ashes, ashes cast. These are a million ways that we've built for people to reach out and connect with us. And, and people do do that. And, and we love every moment of it. Uh, but now is the time to help us figure out what is next and to figure out what we can, you and me, Daniel, commit to in order to produce to our absolute best capability with the time constraints that we have now that we're, you know, basically fighting not just for our lives in this collapsing world, but the lives of, you know, so many people in our communities and the world at large.
1: Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that other than, you know, we're grateful for all of you. Be safe out there. It's a crazy world, but also have a big impact. And let's, let's maybe we'll change this world. Who knows?
0: Big words, Daniel. Well,
1: I was uh, on my Farewell AmeriCorps thing where, like, 45 people who were in my program across the state,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: we all, like, you know, we're saying bye and doing our farewell ceremony, and uh, we were, like, The prompt was to like share gifts you know like what did you learn this year like what can you pass on to other people in my advice i mean i said some things but i finished by saying like i think we're all kind of conditioned to think of our our trajectory in life along a very professional career driven thing where we're always how can i take the next step how can i improve and i think we all need to just live in the present a little more because look that's what life is all about building relationships here focusing on the people around us because at the end of the day, look, climate change is happening uh, whether we like it or not. And there's no guarantee that we'll even be here in 20 years. So look, enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it while you can, you know. Uh, let, yeah, definitely work towards goals. You know, definitely improve your life. Have your dreams, have your goals, but nothing is guaranteed and every moment should be cherished. And it's a challenge. But it's it's a it's important. So cherish every moment. That's, those those are wise words. That's all I Daniel. have, David. And
0: i I feel like uh some there's some of my words do have worked their wormed their way into your brain and now have polluted all those poor American souls. All my. <laughs> but uh, that's good. Good for them. They need to hear it anyway. So. Well, those are good words. F- for our listeners, and I guess good words to close out this show. And I, for me as a final thought is, I know we were rambling. I know that we didn't really address much of anything here, but...
1: We're going to continue to ramble. Nothing will ever be coherent.
0: Yes, that, that is our guarantee. Um, that's, there's not many guarantees we can make. I don't know if this If we'll have an episode next week, we're still trying to figure out, like I said, the trajectory of this show, but we really do value your input and we want to build something together that something Daniel and I can commit to and create something valuable for everyone in this community. And so we really hope you do see yourself as part of that community and and as a member of that community of this Ashes Ashes group of these citizens of the world that, that do give us some input and we can build something
1: together. It's a lot to think about.
0: As always, Daniel. You can find all the links that we talked about on our website, ashesashes.org. You can also find all of our old episodes, all sorts of other resources, and much more. We hope you'll check it out.
1: A lot of time and work, not research anymore, goes into uh, making, producing these episodes. And um, we don't take advertising, never will, never have. Um, so if you like us, would like us to keep going, you, our listeners can support us by giving us a review, recommending us to a friend or family member, keep these conversations going, or send us a little financial love on patreon.com slash ashes, ashes cast. Um, we do appreciate it. You can also send us your thoughts. We read them and we appreciate them. We have an email address at Contact at ashesashes.org.
0: But that's not the only way to contact us. As I mentioned, we are on all your favorite social media at Ashes Ashes Cast, and we have our amazing Discord community. So please come and join us, chat with us, and let us know your thoughts. The invitation to that is on our website, ashesashes.org. Click the community tab and then the Discord invite. It's a great group of people who are still, bless their hearts, talking. And posting stuff there every day, even though we've been mostly absent for the past few months. But, you know, we have been in that Discord and we have been talking and posting updates there. So if you want to find us online, if we go silent, that's the place to be.
1: Yeah. Um, thanks for listening. Hope to see you there and see you next time.
0: Till then, this is Ashes Ashes. Bye. Bye bye.